Good morning, Living Word Baptist Church. Good morning, Pastor. Good morning to everyone. I'm glad to see Chris back today. This is wonderful. And uh, just want to say welcome. Welcome to those who are watching, uh, listening online, and to those who may listen to this uh, sermon at a different time. Now, last week we finished up our Assurance of Salvation series. And so today, I am, I'm not, I don't know if this is going to be a series or not, but we're going to talk about the will of God, you know. Uh, and Scripture tells us, a lot of people wonder what the will of God is, but the will of God is outlined in the Holy Scriptures. And uh, there's a lot of those uh, Scriptures that talk about that. Uh, we all, those of us who are Christians, share a faith in the God who made us and saved us and has a plan for each one of us. If you belong to Him, God has a plan for you. Because of that, we often ask ourselves, what is God's will or what is the will of God? And we ask uh, questions like, what is God's will for my life? What is God's will for my family? What is God's will for my church? And when we think about God's will, we often picture doing something uh, impressive or something great or working hard or doing something that's extremely difficult or making some painful sacrifice. Well, I'm going to talk to you about the will of God, and, and sometimes God God's will does include something impressive or something that's hard to do or something that requires a lot of our time, a sacrifice of our time, if you will, or our money or our energy. But there are two types of God's will, and it, the first type is the, the general will of God, which is outlined clearly in the Scripture. Now, God has impresses on people things additional to that that he may want you to do. For example, he wanted me to preach. I didn't want to preach. Now, I didn't hear God's voice say, hey, Harry, I want you to go be a preacher. That's not how God works. He works usually in much more subtle ways, but he makes his will known to you. But right now, we're going to talk about the general will of God, the, the will of God for every Christian. And uh, there are verses in the Bible where God tells us exactly and precisely what His will is. And today, we're going to take a look at three of those, three of those things. And turn to 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 5, and we're going to look at verse 16 through 18. Here's the first verse, 16. Rejoice always. That's a long verse, isn't it? And then 17. Pray without ceasing. And 18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. He's talking to Christians. Okay, he's talking to Christians. He's not talking to unbelievers. What an amazing surprise there. Our loving Father 
does not command us to impress him by doing something big or difficult or painful. Instead, God commands us to be happy, be joyful, and to talk to him all the time and to live a life of thankfulness. Because I'm going to tell you what, everybody sitting in this room, you think you got it bad, you don't know what bad is. When we do these simple things, we're fulfilling God's will for us in Christ Jesus. So let's look at the first one, verse 16. Rejoice always. Being here today, I see, <clears throat> I look out and I've seen people uh, before service and I've seen a lot of people smiling and that, that makes me happy. It's a sign that the church is doing the will of God. If you're happy in His and if you're happy to be here, you're doing the will of God. If you're rejoicing that you belong to Him, you're doing the will of God. I tell you, young Daniel there, he smiles all the time. Maybe he knows something. He does know something. He knows God loves him. There's something attractive about people who are full of joy of the Lord. Think about it. If you think about the place where you work, think about your job, think about maybe the school where you go or the neighborhood that you live, you probably realize that the quality and quantity of rejoicing is rare. It's rare. If you're one of those rare people who are always rejoicing, you'll shine the light of Christ everywhere you go. And I'm not talking about being, walking around being a Jesus freak, saying praise the Lord every time something happens. But people realize when you have the inner peace and the inner joy, because you show that, that reflects on them. <clears throat> the second verse is verse 17. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Now that's interesting. How can we do anything without ceasing? I try to read my Bible every day, but I can't see, I say that I read my Bible without ceasing. I've never been able to diet without ceasing, that's for sure. It's hard to practice any good habit without ceasing. But you know what is easy to do without ceasing? Well, some people it's not so easy. We all do it. Breathing. When you cease to breathe, you're dead. That's the only thing that we really do without ceasing. In one aspect of the meaning of the word. A Christian named Edward Keith said this about prayer. Prayer is exhaling the spirit of man and inhaling the spirit of God. When we breathe in, we inhale oxygen and we exhale carbon dioxide. In prayer, we inhale spiritual energy and we exhale uh, the things that need to be cleared out of our lives. We exhale the things onto God for Him to handle. Now the Greek word for Without ceasing, the Greek word that was used, that Paul used here is, here is adialatos, which doesn't mean non-stop. It doesn't mean non-stop. It actually means consistently reoccurring. Consistently reoccurring. In other words, we can go through our day communicating with God 
about everything and anything. We can include God in our thoughts, all our thoughts, all our concerns, all our plans, every minute of every day. Do you do that? You get ready to go do something? Do you think about God? Do you say, Lord, talk to Him about it? You know, if you've got plans, if you're making plans and you're making them without God, you're making some bad plans. Okay? If you want to be at the beach, you have to get in the car in the beginning. You can't get to the beach without getting in the car. You can't get to where you really need to be without talking to God. This is what Jesus invited us to do when He said, Abide in Me. It means live in Him. This is how we have the abundant life that He promised us. If you're not doing these things, you're not having the abundant life that was promised to you and is yours to have. Because God doesn't go back on His promises. To pray without ceasing is to invite God into every moment of every day of your life. This is what gives us the ability to rejoice. You're constantly with God. In fact, we are able to rejoice always only if we are praying without ceasing. Think about it. This brings us to the third thing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Verse 18. Okay, this is the hard one. This is the hard one. Every day we experience circumstances that are good and circumstances that are not so good. And sometimes circumstances that are absolutely horrible or horrendous. Things happen that make us feel good. Things happen that make us feel happy. And things happen that makes us feel sad or irritated or disappointed or angry or exasperated. But according to the Scripture, God's will for us is to focus on things that are good. You're not supposed to be focusing on the bad things. That is where we can and should be focusing our thinking is on the good things, the things of the Lord. Now, as for things that are not so good, are we supposed to just look the other way, brush them off, or pretend that they're not there? Of course not. Of course not. What about the loss of a loved one? You can't just pretend it didn't happen. Or the loss of a job, or poor health, or something else. You have to deal with those things. God expects you to deal with those things, but He doesn't expect you to obsess about them. Okay? These things are important, and we must address them, but we must not let them consume us. When, they, when you allow these things that bad that happen to consume you, you have allowed Satan to get a grip on your life. And it won't be so good after that. Now, if you're a Christian, you can break that with God's help. So this brings me to Christian persecution. Are we...
to do nothing about our brothers and sisters in Christ that are being persecuted and prosecuted? Is it not good to help those in need? Christian persecution, for example, is becoming more prevalent and more violent and more accepted in every country of the world, including this one. Amen. I'm just going to take a look at one country, Nigeria. Nigeria has the biggest population and the biggest economy in, of any country in Africa. We can be thankful that approximately half of Nigeria's population are Christians. <clears throat> and by the way, these are serious Christians. But there are other circumstances where it is more difficult to be thankful. Let me explain. Christianity is under severe attack in Nigeria. Since 2009, over 52,250 Nigerian Christians have been murdered. In the same period, 18,000 Christian churches and 2,200 Christian schools were burned to the ground. And the outlook for 2023 isn't much better, if it's any better. So far this year, over 1,000 Christians have been killed since the beginning of the year. Within the same period, 707 Christians in Nigeria have been kidnapped. Most, most of the people kidnapped were children and young women who were sold as sex slaves. This includes babies. Now these crimes against Christians in Nigeria are perpetrated primarily, not exclusively, but primarily by men in the name of Islam. And some would have you believe that Islam is a beautiful, peaceful religion. It is not. It is not. It's evil. I'm not saying that these things should be ignored. We can't ignore them. We should do whatever we can to help. But we cannot allow bad things to be our focus. Understand that? Amen. You're driving down the road like Daniel the other day. He had a flat tire. It took some doing, but it got fixed. You can't get in your car every time you're going to drive and obsess about the possibility of a flat tire. You'd be miserable all the time. Amen. You deal with it and move on. Amen. And there are a lot of organizations trying to help Christians. And if you're interested in knowing about any of them, let me know. These bad things should not take away our joy and peace in Christ. I want to point one thing out. When Paul wrote the book of 1 Thessalonians, Christians were facing the same dangers and persecution of those today. Amen. Exactly the same. Those are, those are the circumstances that Paul included when he said, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. <clears throat> Christians were being prosecuted and persecuted and murdered and kidnapped and sold into slavery. Then, as they are now. 
Even when bad things are overwhelming. Even when circumstances are as bad as they get. Even when we can be thankful because God is going to... uh, We can be thankful because God is going to uh, bring something good out of evil. He always does. He always turns it around on Satan. All right, Pastor, how is it good that, you know, a three-year-old is murdered by Muslims? Well... He brings that little fellow into into heaven. His life's much better. There's nothing that we ever face that takes away our hope in Christ. If anything you face takes away your hope in Christ, you most likely were never saved. Because there have been time and time again where Islamic terrorists have murdered and tortured Christians by the thousands who did not. All they had to do to be saved, all they had to do to stop the pain was reject Christ and accept Islam. There's not a single case that I've ever heard of where a Christian did that. We can give We can always give thanks because the Scripture tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. If you're a true Christian, you won't turn your back on God. You won't change. You won't come out as some people have and say, well, you know, I was a Christian, but but now I don't believe I'm blah, blah, blah. Fill in the blank. They were never saved. They were pretend Christians. They were, as Billy Graham called them, immunized Christians. They got just enough to never get the real thing. Don't be one of those. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 8. Verse 31. We're going to start there. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Apostle Paul knew where he was going. He knew the Lord Jesus. He knew that no matter what men did to him, he was standing on the rock of Jesus Christ. And he knew that his best life was yet to come. Like you've heard me say before, if this, you think this is your best life, you're going to hell. <clears throat> if this is your best life, you're going to hell. This is not my best life. 
Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. No. Your best life, you're a Christian, comes after you have departed this world. Amen. And God sends His angels at the moment of your uh, physical death to take you, to escort you to Him. According to Scripture. Let me wrap this up. I'm thankful for this church and that we're able to be here and meet freely without fear. Remember a couple years ago when uh, <clears throat> Governor Bashir made an, idi- uh, uh, an idiotic rule that you couldn't meet and go to church? Amen. He wasn't doing God's will. Nope. I didn't fear him. I didn't work for him. I worked for God. I'm thankful for the connection that we have been able to have with our Christian brothers and sisters in Pakistan. You know, the only country uh, that more violence is against Christians than, than Nigeria is Pakistan. In case you didn't know that. Also, the place in the world where more people are converting to Christianity is not the United States. We're at the bottom of the list in conversions. Next to the bottom of the list. I think the UK is the bottom. Iran. Iran. Christianity is taken off in that part of the world like a wildfire. And the Muslims are in a panic because they're murdering and persecuting and prosecuting Christians by the thousands to try to stop it. And the more they persecute God's church, the more it grows. Maybe we need some persecution here. <clears throat> I'm thankful for the godly men and women that God has put in my path in my life, during my lifetime. I've had some, some very godly men and women who have helped me and given me advice and given me encouragement. I'm thankful that God has told us His will in these verses And in many other verses, there's a lot of verses in the Scripture about God's will. And I encourage you to look some of those up and to study about God's will written in the Scripture. I'm going to leave you today with this reminder. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, Christian. I added the word Christian. Because that's who that, those verses were written to and for. Amen. Christians were being martyred by the thousands as they are today. You wonder, why don't God just strike down? That's not the way it works. He is going to strike down evil one final time. He's going to rapture His church. He's going to come back. And He's going to put an end to all these antichrists that are rising. And I'm going to tell you one... I'm going to get off this for just a minute, but I'm going to tell you one thing. We saw the, the, the movie The Sound of Freedom. If you haven't seen it, you should see it. Did you know that CNN and other news organizations and all of Hollywood 
are doing everything they can to stop that movie, to discredit it, I think it's because they're all a bunch of pedophiles. Or they support the people who are pedophiles. You got, you know, they're, they're, they're blaming it on um, the conspiracy theorists. Well, this is just a bunch of conspiracy theory. This is just, you know, it's, not, it's fake. That's not true. This is a true story. Amen. You know, when President Trump was president, hundreds of children were being rescued. You, hear, you, hear, you would hear about it every few months where they had busted up another ring. I don't hear that today. Something's wrong with our government if they're not trying to protect children. Amen. Oh, they're not trying to protect children. They're trying to protect the pedophiles. But that is not the will of God. The will of God is to protect children, to do the right thing, to do the godly thing, to glorify Him. And what Jesus say about hurting one of the little ones, it's better, and if you're listening to me and you're a pedophile, it's better that you would have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the depths of the ocean. Amen. Because hell is coming for you. Yeah, absolutely. And that's all I got to say about that. Heavenly Father, we praise your holy name. We thank you, Lord, for the blessings. We thank you for the being able to be here today to serve you, to talk about your will. We ask that you would continue with this congregation, that you would lead us in the way you would have us go in Christ's name. Amen.